Uh, so good afternoon. My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, extremely grateful to be with you all today. Uh, I want to shout out two groups of people at Renaissance. One, the first group I want to shout out are people uh, who this is the first time you've ever come here. And uh, I know how hard it is to come to a new church. And we hope that you have at least one conversation today at Church and Chill, uh, right outside in the courtyard after, that blesses you, that makes you feel like this is a place you could call home. And secondly, it's probably even more difficult for this group, to be perfectly honest. It's the people who haven't been at Renaissance for a long time, and they may feel some embarrassment or shame or whatever it is that they haven't been here for a long time, and now they came back. Welcome back. We are so grateful to have you with us. Uh, you are always welcome here and welcome home, and I hope to catch up with you all at Church and Chill um, outside after service. So let me pray for us, and we'll hop into today's message. Uh, God, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. And we've seen evidence of your goodness in our life, and I pray that our time right now would be helpful for us. It would be clarifying for us and it would be encouraging for us. Lord, speak to every single person where they are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So I feel like I have a confession to make from the outset. Um, I have one of the worst senses of direction of anybody in this room. Once you take me off of the grid of Manhattan, I really have no idea where I'm going. And you know, I feel like I have to stick up and speak up for the lost community. Um, <laughs> We don't get lost on purpose. Like, in my brain, like, I really want to go in the right direction. And I think you judgmental people with good sense of direction, you think that we're not paying attention. And I, I actually do pay attention. I just don't know where I'll be going. The second thing about getting lost that's really interesting is um, you don't know, like, that you are getting lost until it's happened. Like, I'm getting lost, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is definitely the way to go. <laughs> you don't realize it until it's too late. Like, by the time you, you're realizing that you're lost, you are already lost. One of the things that's also interesting is it doesn't matter what your intention is, like when you set out to go somewhere. It doesn't matter how much you believe it. It doesn't matter how much your gut says this is the right way to go. Really, the only thing that matters is the direction that you're going in. It's your direction, not your intention or your desire, that determines your destination. It doesn't matter how much you believe it. It doesn't matter how much it feels right in your gut. It's always the direction that you're going in, not your intention, what you wanted to do or didn't want to do, that will determine your destination. Now, this is equally true um, about life as it is about going to a place that you've never been to before. And my hope for us today is that we clarify some things about the direction that we're actually going into with our life. It's the direction that you're going in, the decisions that you've made and are making that will determine the outcome of your life. So your life is a result of the decisions that you make. Your life will be the result, not of the desires that you have. Many of us have desires for things in our lives, desires for certain types of relationships, for a certain type of spiritual maturity, for a type of community that we want. And it's not the desires that you have that are going to determine it. Really, what's going to determine it are 
the decisions that you have made and are making. Your life will not be the result of the information that you know. Your life will not be the result of the advice that is given to you. Your life is being shaped and formed by the decisions you make. And so I want to read a, a portion of scripture by a man named Paul as we have been journeying through our series on Galatians. And Paul gives this scripture as a father would talk to his children. It is both a warning and it's also an encouragement. Now, very briefly, you have to always be careful if there are people in your lives that claim they love you and will not give you hard truths. They don't really love you. They just love whatever you bring into their life for that moment or that season. But if someone really loves you, they'll give you hard truths. They'll tell you the truth about yourself. You might not want to hear it, but they'll be willing to get in the mess of your life a little bit to challenge you. Also, if people really love you, they won't just berate you or they won't just challenge you. They won't just point out what's wrong. They'll also encourage you. They'll stick with you. They'll, they'll, they'll want you to have the best of what God has for you in your life. And so this scripture is an example of that. It is both a warning, a really harsh and stern and sober warning. And at the same time, it's also a huge encouragement. So Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10, here's what Paul says to this church that he loves. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he or she will also reap. Because the one who sows to their flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. What Paul is basically doing here is talking about another law that exists in our world. It's the law of sowing and reaping. In the same way that gravity is a law, you don't have to believe in it for it to happen. This law of sowing and reaping is equally the way that God has set up his world. You cannot plant tomatoes and expect to get grapes. Paul gives us this pretty stern warning. He says, don't be deceived, my brothers and my sisters. God is not going to be mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. But Galatians is also a letter about the, the gospel and this message of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And I, I feel like there's some confusion, even for me sometimes, about, well, what does it mean that God loves me and Jesus paid the debt for my sins, and yet I will reap what I sow? Like, how do you reconcile these two things? I think first and foremost, we need to realize when Paul is talking about here in Galatians 6, it's not that we will um, undo the gospel. So what Jesus has done on the cross is he has taken away the penalty and the punishment for sin. And so what Paul is talking about is not that we would get punished, anybody who has placed their faith in Christ. When Jesus went to the cross and said, it is finished, it is finished. There is no punishment happening for our sins. Jesus, scripture says that Jesus erased the certificate of debt that stood against us. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, that um, if you were to go to court and there was a, a matter that had been already marked as fully satisfied, it doesn't even exist on the docket anymore. So you can go to court feeling bad, 
uh, wanting to apologize, but it doesn't even exist because it has been erased. It has been satisfied. It has been taken off the docket. So the penalty for sin has been erased by Jesus Christ on the cross. And for those who place their faith in Christ, we can cling to his old rugged cross and know that we can stand before God, not based on what we have done, but based on what Christ has done. So what is Paul talking about here? He's not talking about punishment for sin. What he's talking about are the consequences for our actions. And so Paul gives us these warnings, and this doesn't mean that you're no longer a child of God if you're experiencing some of these consequences. It doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell, uh, but it does mean that we, we will reap what we sow. In our relationships, in our jobs, we will reap what we sow. You know, my son, uh, my kids are asking for a dog now, and uh, we're at that stage where we're in the argument stage. We're probably going to get one like in a couple of years. But right now, I'm like convinced, firm, no, we ain't getting no dog. Uh, mainly because I don't want to wake up and walk, uh, walk a dog. I do love dogs, though, and I, I grew up with a lot of dogs. And it actually is a sadness that my kids don't know how to navigate around dogs. So whenever my oldest would see a dog, he would just get scared and want to run. And I'm like, my mans, that's the worst thing you can do because a dog is just going to chase you. And what we've had to do is to teach him to listen to my voice even when it goes against his own intuition. And if he listens to me, he will have a much better go when he sees a dog on the street. Hopefully he won't get bit. If he doesn't listen to me, if he does what he wants to do, he's still my son. He's going to be my son that got bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll put the band-aid on him. So what Paul is talking about is you are still a child of God. But you and I will reap what we sow. If we, if we ignore the voice of God, if we ignore the commands, the instructions, the wisdom, the, the love of God in our lives, as God tells us to lead, live, we will reap what we sow. And so I want to highlight three things today from the scripture, the implications that I think will be helpful for us, and we're going to go outside and have a good time at church and chill. Number one, we are all susceptible to deception, you are probably most likely to be deceived if you think that you can't be deceived. So Galatians 6 and 7 says this, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he or she will also reap. So what does it mean to be deceived? Dece deception is to cause to wander off the path. So there's a path that God wants you to take. Deception is about making you wander from that path. So deception is about direction. It's about taking you away from the path that God has laid out for you and putting you on a different path. So where are you trying to go? Deception is about taking us off of that. It's about to cause someone to hold a wrong view and thus be mistaken. It's to mislead. And that's a very uh, key part of the definition. It's to be misled. And so uh, years ago when I was um, in middle school, my boys club team, we had a tournament in Maine. And um, this was, we didn't have that much money, so we took two minivans to get to the tournament. If you know geography, um, Maine is basically like a straight shot up from New York. So you take 87 North, go straight up. We got to the toll booth um, and we were in the car behind another car and they got bad directions from the person working at the toll booth. This was way before Easy Pass. And um, they went on 80 West. Now, my pops is from Buffalo, from Western New York. 
He had done that ride 100 times. He knew if you get on 80 West, you're not going to Maine. You're going to Canada. You're going to Buffalo. They listened to the toll booth person, and we tried to honk our horns. Again, this is before cell phones. Um, and what took us five hours to get to Maine took them like 20 hours because they went to Buffalo and then had to go all the way back and then went to Maine. They were deceived. They relied on bad information. And the reliance on bad information took them, they accepted the bad information and that led them down a path that they were not supposed to be on. And so what Paul is saying is this, all of us are prone to accept bad information. We're prone to be deceived, to be misled. This is something that happened to our earliest parents, Adam and Eve. They accepted the lies of the enemy as truth, and it led them away from God. And Paul is saying, don't be misled, don't be deceived. Um, we're all prone to it. We're all susceptible to it. Now, very briefly, this is why community in your life is not a nice thing to have. It is a need to have. It's not a good thing to have if you can get it. Like, oh, yeah, I'll join a community group. I'll do this. It's not a nice thing. It's a needed thing in your life. You and I need people around us that can journey the fullness of our life with us to make sure that we are walking the path that God is calling us to walk in. So number one, we're all susceptible to uh, deception. Number two, you and I are free to choose, but you are not free from the consequences of your choices. Y'all are grown. Y'all can do whatever you want. You can. You can do whatever you want. But you're not free from the consequences of your choices. You can parent your kids however you want. You can enroll them in whatever programs you think is most helpful. You can nourish or not nourish certain things about their life, but you are not free from the consequences of your choices. As a pastor who gets to speak to so many adults now, one of the biggest lies that many parents believe is this. My kids will do what I've told them, not, what I, not how I've led them. The way that your kids will grow is a direct result to the direction that you are taking them on, to the decisions that you are making, not the empty words that you are saying. And so if you cherish and value emotional health, spiritual health, you need to actually do that in, their kids, in your kid's life or else they will not grow in their life. We are free to choose, but you are not free from the consequences of your choices. In your relationships, this could be with a, a friend, um, a significant other, uh, a parent, a, a child, whatever it is, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to be kind. You could be as selfish as you want to be. You're free to choose that, but you are not free from the consequences of your choices. If you sow selfishness into your relationships, Selfishness is going to grow. You will reap what you sow. The spiritual disciplines, um, you know, Matthew 4 and 4 says, it is written, humans must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, one of the things that I have seen in my own life is this tendency to believe that I can have a thriving, flourishing, abiding relationship with Jesus and not commit myself to practices, to discipline, to nurture, to hear God's word from me daily. You and I need the words of God over our lives as often as possible. And if we don't sow those into our lives, we will not reap God's best for our lives. 
And so one of the challenges that we have is, um, in, in general, there's a, a number of reasons why your life might be difficult right now. And I don't want you to think that uh, if your life is difficult, if your life is hard, then it's because you made bad decisions. Some of you are going through the worst time of your life right now, and it has nothing to do with a bad decision you made. For many of us, we just live in a sinful and broken world. Jesus tells us that in this world, you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Some of you right now are going through difficulty and hardship just because this world is sinful and is broken, and that's hard. Others of us are going through difficult times um, uh, because God uses suffering as one of his tools to mature believers. I wish he didn't. I really do. I wish, I wish the tool that God used was more instruction. Sometimes God does use that. Sometimes God uses people to speak into your life. Sometimes God uses an explosive worship experience to change your life. He does. But another tool that God uses sometimes is, is suffering. In Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And I think the same thing is true for us. So sometimes we just live in a sinful world. Other times, it's because God is using suffering and hardship to grow us, to shape us into the image of Jesus. But other times, it's because we're reaping what we're sowing. In 1 Peter, it says this, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. What Peter is doing here in this text is basically saying, there's a lot of different reasons that you can suffer, but one of them could be your own actions. And this is what Paul is saying, and I don't want to beat this point up too much um, because I want it to have the appropriate weight um, that it should have. You and I are free to choose to do whatever you want to do, but you are not free from the consequences of your choices. You know, I, I see so many people in their faith walk with Jesus, who everything is all about them. Now, I'm a big fan of self-care, of boundaries, of limits, of not trying to be everything for everybody, but there is a limit in the threshold that you can cross over to where your entire life is, is all about you, and you will reap what you sow. It will no longer be just self-care. It will be a life that is consumed with you, and you'll be no good to anybody. Another thing that I've seen in my own life is the, the media that we consume. You know, the other day, I was on, like, Instagram or something, and I saw somebody just talking about how their kids speak, like, seven languages, and I was like, my kids don't even speak English, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was immediately just upset and, like, sad, and I was, like, mad in the house, you know? My kids were like, Daddy, can I get waffles? I'm like, get your own waffles, I ain't getting... <laughs> Say it in Spanish if you want the waffles. <laughs> and for Jordan Rice, too much media generally leads to the comparison trap. Where I fall into the comparison trap over and over again, and I'm, it only has two outcomes for Jordan. The, the harvest that I reap is always pride or discontentment. I'm either really prideful because I feel like I'm doing better than other people, or I'm just so discontent with what God has given me. And I'm comparing myself. Now, it's almost always a result of the media that I'm consuming that leads me to that. So what kind of brother in Christ would I be 
If Jordan Rice lived without limits to the media that he consumes, I will reap what I sow. I will make, the de- I will make decisions not because I feel like this is where God is leading us, but because I'm discontent. We are free to choose. You're big, you're bad, you're, you can make a lot of decisions. You're a very smart person, but you are not free from the consequences of your choices. So many people that attend churches in America live double lives. We show up to church on Sunday, we are one way in front of everybody. Hi, praise the Lord. Blessed and highly favored. But they're mean as a rattlesnake as soon as they leave church. Howard Thurman once said, the penalty of deception is to become a deception, is to become the deception. The penalty for telling lies is that you start to become the lie. And so in many ways, we are free to choose to live how we want to live. But if we do not live with integrity, where we are the same person on the inside and outside, we will reap the harvest based on what the seeds that we have sown. And so I want to encourage you to take a good hard look at your life and say, Lord, what are the decisions that I am making? Not my intentions or desires. What are the decisions that I have made in making because I will reap what I sow? Do I want to eat the fruit of the seeds that I'm sowing? The last piece is hopefully a piece of encouragement, a major encouragement. It's that there is always a gap between sowing and reaping. So if you right now are experiencing an invitation from Jesus where you feel like the Lord is calling you to do certain things, I want to let you know right now, you will not reap a harvest tomorrow. Here's what it says in Galatians 6 and 9. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. So do not get discouraged. Years ago, a guy in my community group told a story about this apple tree that he and his family planted. And he said for the first five years, there was no apples. And then finally, it started to grow apples. Everybody got excited, started pulling the apples off the tree. They ate it, and it was bitter. And they were like, this is garbage, and they threw them away. It took many more years for those apples to become edible and delicious and useful. And later, that apple tree became one of the joys of their family, that they can go outside and eat amazing apples. But here's the thing, it took time. It took time to grow from a seed to a tender plant, to shoot up, to become a tree. Not just a tree, but a tree that can produce mature fruit. And listen to this, there will be a gap in between your sowing and your reaping. And the instruction for you is to not get tired, to not give up, because you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. For those of you who are engaging with Christian community, you're going to sign up for a DNA group. You're going to try to read the Bible more. I'm going to, tell you, I'm going to instruct you with this one thing. Do not get tired of doing good, for we will reap a harvest at the proper time if you don't give up. For those of you who are in messy relationships and you sense the Lord and wisdom and emotional health telling you to sow certain seeds into those relationships and it's hard and it feels like nothing is changing, let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. For those of you who are battling sin or inconsistency in your life, and you feel like, I've been around this over and over and over again, nothing is ever going to change, I might as well just quit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. For those of you in the trenches of parenting, and you're making decisions for the, the betterment of your children, for their growth, for their thriving, and you feel like, my kids are just crazy. Let us not get tired of doing good, 
for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. When we first started Renaissance, um, I, I struggled greatly with um, anxiety and uh, panic attacks, and it was something that really started to paralyze me. And I remember talking to my therapist, a Christian woman, and she was telling me that, you know, above really all, I, I really needed to have a Sabbath, a 24-hour day that I stopped. And I was a human being, not a human doing. And that if I wanted to thrive long-term, I needed to do this. I started doing all this other stuff, and I said, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll start to do it. I first started doing the Sabbath, and for 23 of the 24 hours, I thought about work. I was miserable. I returned to work less rested and more anxious. And I was like, this just, this just does not work. I've tried it. I did it for two weeks. It's whack. It's not working. And by the grace of God, I stuck with it. And now in my life, eight, nine years later, uh, doing a Sabbath is probably the most, it's probably the easiest thing that I can do. It's the thing I look forward to the most. It's this nourishing practice of reminding myself that Jordan is a child of God. I am Galen Rogers' son. I am Jared's brother. I'm Jessica's husband. And yes, I'm also a pastor, but it doesn't become the defining part of who I am. And so it's taken nine years for me to be able to be this, but I can't imagine my life without having gone through the difficulty of those moments. Whatever the Lord's invitation is for you right now, I want you to do, to, to do two things. One, I want you to tell someone about it. Uh, so much research says that if you tell someone what you're going to do, someone in this community, for example, your chances of living that out are just so much better. And number two, I want you to remind yourself, commit the scripture to memory, to not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Here's why we can trust that, because we serve not just the crucified king, but the, the resurrected savior in Jesus. And one of the things I love about the resurrection of Jesus is that if he can resurrect from the dead, what can't he do in your life? What limitations is there on Jesus? None. So the resurrected Jesus invites us to follow him and to not get tired of doing good because he's inviting us on this journey with him. He wants good for your life. He wants thriving for your life. He wants the life that you can't even imagine having. He wants that for your life. He wants you to thrive he wants you to be in good health. He wants so many things for you. He wants you to thrive in your relationships. And God is inviting us to, one, evaluate our decisions, and two, to commit our way to him, to trust him, that we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're good, and your mercy endures forever, and we rely on your mercy for us. Lord, I pray for your children just to have an awareness of what the enemy wants to do in our life. Uh, he wants to deceive us. He wants us to believe that we can sow one thing and, and reap another. Jesus, I'm so grateful for this awareness that we get through Scripture today. So I pray that we would be wise in the way that we walk, and I pray that we would have endurance. And even in the moments where we don't have endurance, Lord, I pray that we can borrow it from someone next to us. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.